0: volume one chapter four of travels in the interior of africa by mungo park this librivox recording is in the public domain from talika to Kaja. talika the frontier town of bondu towards wuli is inhabited chiefly by Fulas of the mohammedan region who live in considerable affluence partly by furnishing provisions to the coffles or caravans that pass through the town and partly by the sale of ivory obtained by hunting elephants in which employment the young men are generally very successful here an officer belonging to the king of bondu constantly resides whose business it is to give timely information of the arrival of the caravans which are taxed according to the number of loaded asses that arrive at talika i took up my residence at this officer's house and agreed with him to accompany me to fataconda the residence of the king for which he was to receive five bars and before my departure i wrote a few lines to dr ladley and gave my letter to the master of a caravan bound for the gambia this caravan consisted of nine or ten people with five asses loaded with ivory the large teeth are conveyed in nets two on each side of the ass the small ones are wrapped up in skins and secured with ropes december fourteenth we left talika and rode on very peacefully for about two miles when a violent quarrel arose between two of my fellow-travellers one of whom was the blacksmith in the course of which they bestowed some opprobrious terms upon each other and it is worthy of remark that an african will sooner forgive a blow than a term of reproach applied to his ancestors strike me but do not curse my mother is a common expression even among the slaves this sort of abuse therefore so enraged one of the disputants that he drew his cutlass upon the blacksmith and would certainly have ended the dispute in a very serious manner if the others had not laid hold of him and wrestled the cutlass from him i was obliged to interfere and put an end to this disagreeable business by desiring the blacksmith to be silent and telling the other who i thought was in the wrong that if he attempted in future to draw his cutlass, or molest any of my attendants i should look upon him as a robber and shoot him without further ceremony this threat had the desired effect and we marched sullenly along till the afternoon when we arrived at a number of small villages scattered over an open and fertile plain at one of these called ganado we took up our residence for the night here an exchange of presents and a good supper terminated all animosities among my attendants and the night was far advanced before any of us thought of going to sleep we were amused by an itinerant singing man who told a number of diverting stories and played some sweet airs by blowing his breath upon a bow string and striking it at the same time with a stick december fifteenth at daybreak my fellow travelers the sarah Woolies, took leave of me with many prayers for my safety about a mile from gando we crossed a considerable branch of the gambia called nerco The banks were steep and covered with mimosas, and I observed in the mud a number of large mussels, but the natives do not eat them. About noon, the sun being exceedingly hot, we rested two hours in the shade of a tree and purchased some milk and pounded corn from some Fula herdsmen, and at sunset reached a town called Korkkarni where the blacksmith had some relations, and here we rested two days. Korkanary is a Mohammedan town, surrounded by a high wall, and is provided with a mosque. Here I was shown a number of Arabic manuscripts, particularly a copy of the book before mentioned, called Al-Shara. The Marabou, or priest, in whose possession it was, read and explained to me in mandingo many of the most remarkable passages and in return i showed him richardson's arabic grammar which he very much admired on the evening of the second day december seventeenth we departed from Corkenari. we were joined by a young man who was travelling to fataconda for salt and as night set in we reached doggy a small village about 3 miles from corkenary provisions here were so cheap that i purchased a bullock for 6 small stones of amber for i found my company increase or diminish according to the good fare they met with december 18th early in the morning we departed from doggy and being joined by a number of fulas and other people made a formidable appearance, and were under no apprehension of being plundered in the woods. About eleven o'clock, one of the asses proving very refractory, the negroes took a courteous method to make him tractable. They cut a forked stick, and putting the forked part into the ass's mouth, like the bit of a bridle, tied the two smaller parts together above his head leaving the lower part of the stick a sufficient length to strike against the ground if the ass should attempt to put his head down. After this, the ass walked along quietly and gravely enough, taking care, after some practice, to hold his head sufficiently high to prevent stones or roots of trees from striking against the end of the stick, which experience had taught him would give a severe shock to his teeth. This contrivance produced a ludicrous appearance, but my fellow travelers told me it was constantly adapted by the Slatis, and always proved effectual. In the evening we arrived at a few scattered villages, surrounded with extensive cultivation, at one of which, called Bugil, we passed the night in a miserable hut, having no other bed than a bundle of cornstalks and no provisions but we brought with us. The wells here are dug with great ingenuity and are very deep. I measured one of the bucket ropes and found the depth of the well to be twenty-eight fathoms. December 19th We departed from Bugali and traveled along a dry, stony height covered with mimosas till midday when the land sloped towards the east and we descended into a deep valley in which i observed abundance of windstone and white quartz pursuing our course to the eastward along this valley in the bed of an exhausted river course we came to a large village where we intended to lodge we found many of the natives dressed in a thin french gauze which they called biqui thus being a light airy dress as well calculated to display the shape of their persons, is much esteemed by the ladies. The manners of these females, however, did not correspond with their dress, for they were rude and troublesome in the highest degree. They surrounded me in numbers, begging for amber, beads, etc., and were so vehement in their solicitations that I found it impossible to resist them they tore my cloak cut the buttons from my boy's clothes and were proceeding to other outrages when i mounted my horse and rode off followed for half a mile by a body of these harpies in the evening we reached subrudoka and as my company was numerous being fourteen i purchased a sheep and abundance of corn for supper after which we lay down by the bundles and passed an uncomfortable night in a heavy dew december twentieth we departed from subrudoka and at two o'clock reached a large village situated on the banks of the falem river which is here rapid and rocky the natives were employed in fishing in various ways the large fish were taken in long baskets made of split cane, and placed in a strong current, which was created by walls of stone built across the stream, certain open places being left, through which the water rushed with great force. Some of these baskets were more than twenty feet long, and once the fish had entered one of them, the force of the stream prevented it from returning. The small fish were taken in great numbers in hand nets, which the natives weave of cotton and use with great dexterity. The fish last mentioned are about the size of sprats, and are prepared for sale in different ways. The most common is by pounding them entire as they come from the stream in a wooden mortar, and exposing them to dry in the sun in large lumps like sugar loaves. It may be supposed that the smell is not very agreeable, but in the Moorish countries to the north of the Senegal, where fish is scarcely known, this preparation is esteemed as a luxury and sold to considerable advantage. The matter of using it by the natives is by dissolving a piece of this black loaf in boiling water and mixing it with their couscous. On return to the village, After an excursion to the riverside to inspect the fishery, an old Moor sheriff came to bestow his blessing upon me, and begged some paper to write Safis upon. The man had seen Major Houghton in the kingdom of Karta, and told me that he died in the country of the Moors. About three in the afternoon we continued our course along the bank of the river to the northward, till eight o'clock when we reached naimau here the hospital master of the town received us kindly and presented us with a bullock in return i gave him some amber and beads december twenty first in the morning having agreed for a canoe to carry over my bundles i crossed the river which came up to my knees as i sat on my horse but the water is so clear that from the high bank the bottom is visible all the way over. About noon we entered Fatakonda, the capital of Bondu, and in a little time received an invitation to the house of a respectable Slati, for as there are no public houses in Africa, it is customary for strangers to stand at the Batang or some other place of public resort till they are invited to a lodging by some of the inhabitants we accepted the offer and in an hour afterwards a person came and told me he was sent on purpose to conduct me to the king who was very desirous of seeing me immediately if i was not too much fatigued i took my interpreter with me and followed the messenger till we got quite out of town and crossed some cornfields, when, suspecting some trick, I stopped, and asked the guide whither he was going, upon which he pointed to a man sitting under a tree at some little distance, and told me that the king frequently gave audience in that retired manner, in order to avoid a crowd of people, and that nobody but myself and my interpreter must approach him. When I advanced, the king desired me to come and sit by him upon the mat, and after hearing my story, on which B. made no observation, he asked if I wished to purchase any slaves or gold. Being answered in the negative, he seemed rather surprised, but desired me to come to him in the evening, and he would give me some provisions. This monarch was called Alamani. A Moorish name, though I was told he was not a Mohammedan, but a Kaffir or Pagan. I had heard that he had acted towards Major Houghton with some unkindness, and caused him to be plundered. His behavior, therefore, towards myself at this interview, though much more civil than I expected, was far from freeing me from uneasiness. I still apprehended some double-dealing, and, as I was now entirely in his power, I thought it best to smooth the way by a present. Accordingly, I took with me in the evening one canister of gunpowder, some amber, tobacco, and my umbrella, and as I considered that my bundles would inevitably be searched, I concealed some few articles in the roof of the hut where I lodged and put on my new blue coat in order to preserve it all the houses belonging to the king and his family are surrounded by a lofty mud wall which converts the whole into a kind of citadel the interior is subdivided into different courts at the first place of entrance i observed a man standing with a musket on his shoulder and i found the way to the presence very intricate leading through many passages with sentinels placed at the different doors when we came to the entrance of the court in which the king resides both my guide and my interpreter according to custom took off their sandals and the former pronounced the king's name aloud repeating it till he was answered from within we found the monarch sitting upon a mat and two attendants with him i repeated what i had before told him concerning the object of my journey and my reasons for passing through his country he seemed however but half satisfied when i offered to show him the contents of my portmanteau and everything belonging to me he was convinced and it was evident that his suspicion had arisen from a belief that every white man must of necessity be a trader when i had delivered my presents he seemed well pleased and was particularly delighted with the umbrella which he repeatedly furled and unfurled to the great admiration of himself and his two attendants who could not for some time comprehend the use of this wonderful machine after this i was about to take my leave when the king desiring me to stop a while, began a long preamble in favor of the whites, extolling their immense wealth and good dispositions. He next proceeded to an eulogium on my blue coat, of which the yellow buttons seemed particularly to catch his fancy, and he concluded by entreating me to present him with it, assuring me for my consolation under the loss of it, that he would wear it on all public occasions, and inform everyone who saw it of my great liberality towards him. The request of an African prince in his own dominions, particularly when made to a stranger, comes little short of a command. It is only a way of obtaining by gentle means what he can, if he pleases, take by force and as it was against my interest to offend him by a refusal, I very quietly took off my coat, the only good one in my possession, and laid it at his feet. In return for my compliance, he presented me with a great plenty of provisions, and desired to see me again in the morning. I accordingly attended, and found in sitting upon his bed. He told me he was sick and wished to have a little blood taken from him but i had no sooner tied up his arm and displayed the lancet than his courage failed and he begged me to postpone the operation till the afternoon as he felt himself he said much better than he had been and thanked me kindly for my readiness to serve him he then observed that his women were very desirous to see me and requested that i would favor them with the visit an attendant was ordered to conduct me and i had no sooner entered the court appropriated to the ladies than the whole seraglio surrounded me some begging for psychic some for amber and all of them desirous of trying that great african specific blood-letting they were ten or twelve in number most of them young and handsome, and wearing on their heads ornaments of gold and beads of amber. They rallied me with a good deal of gaiety on different subjects, particularly upon the whiteness of my skin and the prominency of my nose. They insisted they were both artificial. The first, they said, was produced when I was an infant, by dipping me in milk, and they insisted that my nose had been pinched every day till it had acquired its present unsightly and unnatural conformation on my part without disputing my own deformity i paid them many compliments on african beauty i praised the glossy jet of their skins and the lovely depression of their noses but they said that flattery or as they emphatically termed it honey mouth was not esteemed in Bondou. In return, however, for my company or my compliments, to which by the way they seemed not so insensible as they affected to be, they presented me with a jar of honey and some fish, which were sent to my lodging, and I was desired to come again to the king's a little before sunset. I carried with me some beads and writing-paper, it being usual to present some small offering on taking leave, in return for which the king gave me five drums of gold, observing that it was but a trifle, and given out of pure friendship, but would be of use to me in traveling for the purchase of provisions. He seconded this act of kindness by one still greater, politely telling me that, though it was customary to examine the baggage of every traveler passing through his country yet in the present instance he would dispense without ceremony adding i was at liberty to depart when i pleased accordingly on the morning of the twenty-third we left fataconda and about eleven o'clock came to a small village where we determined to stop for the rest of the day in the afternoon my fellow travellers informed me that as this was the boundary between bondu and kaja and dangerous for travellers it would be necessary to continue our journey by night until we should reach a more hospitable part of the country i agreed to the proposal and hired two people for guides through the woods and as soon as the people of the village were gone to sleep the moon shining bright we set out the stillness of the air the howling of the wild beasts and the deep solitude of the forest made the scene solemn and oppressive not a word was uttered by any of us but in a whisper all were attentive and every one anxious to show his sagacity by pointing out to me the wolves and hyenas as they glided like shadows from one thicket to another Towards morning we arrived at a village called Kimu where our guides awakened one of their acquaintances and we stopped to give the asses some corn and roast a few ground-nuts for ourselves at daylight we resumed our journey and in the afternoon arrived at jog in the kingdom of Kaja being now in a country among a people differing in many respects from those that have as yet fallen under our observation i shall before i proceed further give some account of bondu the territory we have left and its inhabitants the Fulas. the description of whom i purposely reserve for this part of my work bondu is bound on the east by bambuk on the southeast and south by tenda and the Simbani wilderness, on the southwest by Wuli, and on the west by Futa Tora, and on the north by Kaja. The country, like that of Wuli, is very generally covered with woods, but the land is more elevated, and towards the faumei River rises into considerable hills. Its native fertility, the soil, is not surpassed. I believe, in any part of Africa. From the central situation of Bondou, between the Gambia and Senegal rivers, it is become a place of great resort, both for the Slatees who generally pass through it on going from the coast to the interior countries, and for occasional traders, who frequently come hither from the inland countries to purchase salt. These different branches of commerce are conducted principally by mandigos and cyrawoollies who have settled in the country these merchants likewise carry on a considerable trade with the Jedemua and other moorish countries bartering corn and blue cotton clothes for salt which they again barter in dentilla and other districts for iron shea butter and small quantities of gold dust they likewise sell a variety of sweet-smelling gums packed up in small bags containing each about a pound these gums being thrown on hot embers produce a very pleasant odor and are used by the mandingos for perfuming their huts and clothes the customs or duties on travelers are very heavy in almost every town an assload pays a bar of european merchandise and at fatakonda the residence of the king one indian baft or a musket and six bottles of gunpowder are exacted as the common tribute by means of these duties the king of bondu is well supplied with arms and ammunition a circumstance which makes him formidable to the neighboring states THE INHABITANTS DIFFER IN THEIR COMPLEXIONS AND NATIONAL manners FROM THE MANDINGOS AND CERROWOLEES, WITH WHOM THEY ARE FREQUENTLY AT WAR. SOME YEARS AGO THE KING OF BONDOU CROSSED THE FALME RIVER WITH A NUMEROUS ARMY, AND AFTER A SHORT AND BLOODY CAMPAIGN, TOTALLY DEFEATED THE FORCES OF SAMBOU, KING OF BAMBOUK, WHO WAS OBLIGED TO SUE FOR PEACE and surrender to him all the towns along the eastern bank of the Falmi. The Fulas, in general, as has been observed in a former chapter, are of tawny complexion, with small features and soft silky hair. Next to the Mandingos, they are undoubtedly the most considerable of all the nations in this part of Africa. Their original country is said to be Fuladu, which signifies the country of the Fulas, but they possess at present many other kingdoms at a great distance from each other. Their complexion, however, is not exactly the same in the different districts. In bondou and the other kingdoms which are situated in the vicinity of the Moorish territories, they are of a more yellow complexion than in the southern states. The Fulas of Bondu are naturally of a mild and gentle disposition, but the uncharitable maxims of the Koran have made them less hospitable to strangers and more reserved in their behavior than the Mandingoes. They evidently consider all the Negro natives as their inferiors, and when talking of different nations always rank themselves among the white people. Their government differs from that of the Mandingos chiefly in this, that they are more immediately under the influence of Mohammedan laws, for all the chief men, the king excepted, and a large majority of the inhabitants of bondou are Mussulmans, and the authority and laws of the Prophet are everywhere looked upon as sacred and decisive. In the exercise of their faith, however, they are not very intolerant towards such of their countrymen, as still retain their ancient superstitions. Religious persecution is not known among them, nor is it necessary, for the system of Mohammed is made to extend itself by means abundantly more efficacious. By establishing small schools in the different towns, where many of the Pagan as well as the Mohammedan children are taught to read the Koran and instructed in the tenets of the Prophet, the Mohammedan priests fix a bias on their minds and form the character of their young disciples, which no accidents of life can ever afterward remove or alter. Many of these little schools I visited in my progress through the country and i observed with pleasure the great docility and submissive deportment of the children and heartily wished they had better instructors and a purer religion with the Mohammedan faith is also introduced the arabic language with which most of the fullahs have a slight acquaintance their native tongue abounds very much in liquids but there is something unpleasant in the manner of pronouncing it. A stranger on hearing the common conversation of two fulas would imagine that they were scolding each other. Their numerals are these. 1. Go. 2. dee; 3. Teti. 4. Ni. 5. Jui. 6. Jego. 7. Jedidi 8. jeteti 9. Jani, 10. Sapo The industry of the Fulas in the occupations of pasturage and agriculture is everywhere remarkable. Even on the banks of the Gambia, the greater part of the corn is raised by them, and their herds and flocks are more numerous and in better condition than those of the Mandingos, but in bondu they are opulent in a high degree and enjoy all the necessities of life in the greatest profusion they display great skill in the management of their cattle making them extremely gentle by kindness and familiarity on the approach of the night they are collected from the woods and secured in folds called caries which are constructed in the neighborhood of the different villages. In the middle of each quarry is erected a small hut, wherein one or two of the herdsmen keep watch during the night, to prevent the cattle from being stolen, and to keep up the fires which are kindled round the quarry to frighten away wild beasts. The cattle are milked in the mornings and evenings. The milk is excellent, but the quantity obtained from any one cow is by no means so great as in europe the Fulas use the milk chiefly as an article of diet and that not until it is quite sour the cream which it affords is very thick and is converted into butter by stirring it violently in a large calabash this butter when melted over a gentle fire Is freed from impurities, is preserved in small earthen pots, and forms a part in most of their dishes. It serves likewise to anoint their heads, and is bestowed very liberally on their faces and arms. But although milk is plentiful, it is somewhat remarkable that the Fulas, and indeed all the inhabitants of this part of Africa, are totally unacquainted with the art of making cheese. A firm attachment to the customs of their ancestors makes them view with an eye of prejudice everything that looks like innovation. The heat of the climate and the great scarcity of salt are held forth as unanswerable objections, and the whole process appears to them too long and troublesome to be attended with any solid advantage. Besides the cattle, which constitute the chief wealth of the Fulas, they possess some excellent horses, the breed of which seems to be a mixture of the Arabian with the original African. In a Volume One, Chapter Four, Recording by Linda Marie Nielsen, Vancouver, B.C.